All right, bro. Let's kick off. So, Luke, as you just discovered, you're from fucking Cork, which is like literally the weirdest shit ever. Opening up a fucking call and realizing someone's <laughs> from the same place. So that that's a surprise. That that I'm fucking surprised by, among many other things that you've done. But how yeah, the fuck does <laughs> how does that like, come about? <laughs> I feel like the Cork people, or even the Irish people alone, always find each other, even just through the online space. I when I first like started on Twitter. I'm not. I actually need to add you to it if you're not in it. There's an Irish group chat for online one. Okay. There's like seven. <laughs> there's like seventy guys in here. I I guarantee you, Adam Power is in there. Connor Connor There's Connor Connor as well. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, there's, man. Yeah, like, also, I found those guys as well through this like fucking paradigm. I've been trying to record with Adam for years like actual years mm. I, i'm i'm planning a trip to dubai i have a few i've i was meant to go to dubai last month i was meant to go to dubai this month i meant to go to dubai next month but when I, when I get there we're going to do like in person i, I plan to do everything yeah. in person going like, forward you know but there's i so my friend who you probably need to talk to as well my friend my childhood friend mike he's now full-time online as well doing landing pages he's got like 20k on twitter started at the okay, same time same. i did um he texted Adam the other day and was like, because me and Mike are looking to go to Dubai at the end of the year. And he said, hey, you know, we'd love to meet up. We're from Cork as well. And Adam's like, yeah, for sure. Like, it's it's so funny how there's just, there's probably not that many of us, I suppose, from Cork directly that are, I know Connor was living in Cork, Connor Sunderland. He's now in Dubai. I think he's in the same building as Adam. Um, yeah. And I think his business partner was living in Rochester, where I'm from as well. Uh, I oh think he's God. your age. He's Connor as well. I'm not sure of his second name. But there's a there's a few of us floating around the place anyway. Fucking hell, man! And could, can you imagine how small the podcast community of Irish people are as a result? Like I've yeah. like I'm literally like one of the only people that are still at it. There's like, like three or four podcasts that have reached like a hundred episodes. But I honestly think, man, wow, lads, Irish podcasters, there's, there's very little, you know. And I've been able to do shit around it as a result. But that's the kind of you know USP I'd say in some regards. You have but a anyway, great niche, yeah. You have a great niche yeah. where you, you it can kind of go on forever. Yeah, exactly. But for instance, like a, a podcast like agency can only be built by people who know what a podcast is. To get yeah. me, there's that kind of like yeah. nuance whereby, like you know, for you, for instance, like you might fucking struggle to find the right fucking camera, but for me, like I'd have like fifty already lined up. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. um, so these so these things has happened. But anyway, how the fuck does someone from Cork become uh, a Zapier fucking wizard? How does this come about? <laughs> it comes about from spending too much time online outside of the nine to five job that's what it is trying to find some sort of an escape <laughs> what yeah. did it come from though like what was the actual trigger the so always well it's supposed to going back kind of early days like always entrepreneurial like always so grew up painting fences cutting grass like i remember my dad promoted it a ton which is absolutely great because he did the same thing when he was younger he used to go around around the, the neighborhood of the, the actual estate and he would cut grass get paid you know whatever it was back then five pound three pound whatever to cut, cut cut the grass and then as i got older maybe 13 14 i started cutting some relatives houses like my grandparents cousins and then they would have had neighbors as well and i even remember like the money was horrendous, but I understood what my dad wanted to do was instill like good kind of like for me to value money and really understand it and not kind of you know use it the wrong way and stuff like that. So I never grew up like 
with him giving me anything in terms of that way. It was more teaching me, how, you know, you got to make your own money. So mm. I remember he used to drive me like, obviously I can't drive or anything. It was like 15, he's driving like 15, 20 minutes for me to go cut grass for 45 minutes and then drive me home. And I get like five euro. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> and now like when I think now, I'm like, you could have just gave me the five euro. Like you probably spent that on fuel, but it was obviously it was the learning element. So from that age, I was like, right, need money. I always just love money. I was like, I need money. I used to cut grass. I even, uh, I used to bring, I used to bring uh, like sweets to school. Sick. <laughs> so I used to, we, there was no, uh, there was no uh, like vending machines or a talk shop, I suppose what we call them. And I used to get my mom, I used to go to Woody's and we used to buy uh, 24 cans of Coke for 10 euro. And then we used to go to Dunn's and get a multi-pack of Twix. And I used to sell it to <laughs> them together. <laughs> That you and I, I ran up Sick. I ran up a little bit of money in the first year doing that. And I remember I bought my first pair of uh, Beats headphones after I did that. And I was like, this is sick. I was like, I've just bought something <laughs> that's so expensive out of thin air just from like wheeling and dealing in the, in the canteen or whatever. Um, Literally, man. So it's kind of like it's been ingrained for me since I was pretty young that I always wanted to kind of do my own sort of path. And, you know, I messed around with the years. Like, I probably looked at dropshipping 2016, 2017. Didn't Same. really. I was just so young. I was just, like, I tried to build a website, just miserably failed. Didn't even get to running ads. I was just, like, so horrible at it. And then I, I kind of kept moving from there. And I, I kind of did things backwards where, obviously, now guys who have accumulated a good cash flow business, they're now starting to look at assets. I did it the, the wrong way around. I've looked at the assets. I've gone so in-depth about assets, stocks. I've done a little crypto. bit of crypto, not too huge on it um, in terms of, like, I haven't invested a ton in it, but really, really big on the stocks and the property side of things. Um, look so much at it. I have a good bit of money in it, but it was just... I quickly realized when you have a good cash flowing business, you can just whack so much more money into the market as opposed to trying to save in a nine to five. <laughs> Man, 100%. Bear in mind, you're just constantly, you're in a deficit from the very beginning because it's yeah. always like, how much can I save versus how much I can, I can, I can yes. invest. And the, the biggest thing for me is the fact that input does not equal outcome yeah. and outcome at all you know in terms of like what you what you deliver or what you can get paid so it can only change and of course where we are now between 2022 and 2023 and next year salaries aren't being adjusted promotions aren't being given and the bottom of the pile are getting cut so even if you want to make more money in your job like you physically can't at this stage like it's actually not even possible so you're forced to get into the space i think for you that's how you got into the more natural online space because you knew that you had zero costs of fucking being able to run anything and you could just con you continuously move forward and with new shit as a result. Yeah. I, I felt like I felt like when I first saw the agency space online, obviously the normal rabbit hole, Iman Gadji, all his sort of stuff. And I was like, right, what is this? I was good. My problem was I went into the online space assuming that everything in the world is a scam. I suppose it's kind of good and bad, but that means... Yeah. I, I like refuse to invest in myself, which I've realized like Jesus paying for mentors is just a cheat code. Like, why would you not do it? Um, especially if you've got something already built a little bit because one tweak from a mentor can just, it can blow it up um, because you've already got like a foundation of making money or like with the business. So I went down that rabbit hole and I was like, wow, this is actually super smart. Um, 
that you can just basically spin up a business out of thin air. <laughs> For <laughs> fucking nothing. Yeah, it's just a service-based yes. business, but it's like minimal software required, not much tech costs. Um, like we can later on through this, we can talk about some numbers and how much my tech costs. Like it's not that much money and the money you can make is unreal. And I kind of just went down that way and I was like, right. I think it was the start of last year. So this time last year, around March, I just told myself and I told my girlfriend, I was like, if I want to make good money, I need to leverage the internet. And that was something I've never put myself out there or anything like that. And I was like, I just know if I want to make good money, this is what I need to do. And I kind of just, yeah, I just kind of fell into it and, and really started going down the agency rabbit hole. Um, but that was all while I was still in the nine to five. What did you learn from like the nine to five to bring you closer towards building your own agency? Everything, to be honest. Um, so I know a lot of people love to shit on the nine to fives. Um, from my experience, I learned an absolute ton and I got paid to learn. So I don't have any regret about what I did or go, finishing college and going into a nine to five. Um, the actual learnings from it was I got to know how what a CRM is, how that works. And that's that's an absolutely huge part of my business now. And that's where I help people. Um, along that, I got to learn data analytics, automated reporting, which is kind of a, a new, it's very new, to be honest. Like I've been in some really large companies and they don't have efficient reporting. So I was like, surely these other marketing agencies don't have it either because they're quite small businesses in comparison. Um, having that was really good. So I had a very operational kind of analytical mind. So I knew what systems would look like on the back end in terms of finance reporting. So obviously I've done accounting. Um, I knew I knew what was required, but I just didn't know the marketing front end. And that was really the only component I actually needed to learn. So when it came to me actually starting my own business, it was how can I market? And mm. through obviously organic traffic and Twitter has worked really well for me. And then word of mouth on top of that, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I don't really have that many competitors in what I do. And it's, it, thank God, it's, I, I joke around and I say, you can't buy what I know in a course, which is great because, you know, some people will buy a course and then they spin up their whole business based on what the course told them. But sure, there's a thousand other people who bought that course. So you're all just you're just competing. So I'm very thankful that my learning is fully custom from the jobs that I've had and the time that I've put in, and it's leveraged like tremendously into this online space. When did you get introduced to Zapier then? So Zapier, I actually found it on this time last year but i would have only watched youtube videos so my initial research was in my mind when i found these marketing agencies i thought i was going to do facebook ads and don't know why super behind the curve i was reading you know i was watching videos that are two years old so i'm just behind so i'm like right this wave is long gone for the small guys Um, but basically i found there was a video was recommended it was saying like automate your agency and that there was the Zapier logo. Clicked on it, watched it. I was like, damn. I was like, you can automate without knowing how to like code. I was like, this is crazy. And it was kind of something similar to the tool that I would have used in my finance job. And I was like, okay, this is sick. I can connect Facebook. I can connect Google Sheets. I can connect their CRM. I was like, wow, like this will just move data where I need it. So 
I found it, watched a couple of videos and I was like, this, I like this a lot. And I was like, surely businesses have a need for someone to come in and just clean up this sort of stuff. So didn't take action for ages, just consumed really for like the first half of 2022. So this time last year. And then eventually when I actually found Twitter, I saw there was just a whole cluster of guys who were running businesses and they're all like our age um, in their twenties, making good money, whether it be a coaching program or actually an agency and all of them are going to need some form of automation. So I didn't know Zapier that well, but I just, I labeled myself as Zapier wizard. Like I was just like, I know how to learn the tool. Surely I know it better than most people. So what I did was I just put that as like Luke, Zapier whiz. So like straight away in my actual name, people will know it's automation and Zapier is, you know, kind of like a buzzword, like most agencies would use it. So I was like, right, this is perfect. Now I'll just go buy like a $20 course on Zapier, which I did. And it showed me the (laughs) basic fundamentals. Like it didn't tell me about any business design, process design, like system thinking, which I already had from my nine to five, which is great. But I essentially was like, right, I just need to learn the tool at like a basic fundamental level. And then as I build my own processes and stuff like that, I'll be able to just elaborate from there. So the whole actual uh, process of coming up with things for marketing agencies took a little while, but I kind of, I slipped into it quite nicely. So I documented, I created a simple Excel spreadsheet and I documented all the different tech that's possible for people to use who run agencies. So an example would be, I would create a spreadsheet and I would put a column header for form submissions. I would say type form, uh, jot form, Google forms. And I would just list all of the common tech that would have been used. I would do the same then for a CRM, Salesforce, HubSpot, Close, all this sort of stuff. And then in my spare time outside of my nine to five, I would then create automations using those tech stacks because If I ended up getting on a call with someone, they go, hey, I use HubSpot. Have you used that? I'm not going to go tell them, no, I haven't used HubSpot. I should should go learn HubSpot. Say yes to everything. Literally. So that's how I went around, like actually building some flows. And it's funny, like I've created like this terminology for a certain automation and I've seen all the new automation guys popping up on Twitter and they're copying exactly the the terminology that I'd like created (laughs) like six months ago. How did you learn the the nuances of some of the automations that you do? So I see some of them have like seven or eight workflows, but yeah. how did you know it goes that de- detailed? I think it's um, I think it's just like completely from my mind, which is weird to say, I suppose. Like I haven't everything that I'm doing here is like straight out of my head, but it's it's just what made sense. So like. I I basically documented the steps that and I, I used I used the market right to get my data and I'm a huge fan of that. So whether you're launching a new offer or looking for intel on you building a new process is like go directly to the market and talk to the market. So what I mean by that is I would get on calls with business owners and I would sit there with them, someone who's running a marketing agency doing twenty thousand, thirty thousand a month, and I'd say, okay. I want to give you a hand here. And in the beginning, I did stuff for free to just get my name out there. I was like, sit with me right now. Take me through the exact process on how you onboard a customer or a new client. So they go, okay, I need to first 
send them, populate the contract. I need to put in all the variables, onboarding fee, edit the contract, send it to them. Then I usually send them a welcome email. Then I usually give them the onboarding form. Then I need to go update my CRM. Then I need to make a Slack channel. And it goes on and on and on. And I did that enough times with people where I was like, okay, these are pretty much all the things you need to do to just get someone onboarded. Um, so like the last part of that would be a, a go into the project management tool and assign tasks to all the various different team members. So yeah. I was like, I'm sure I can just create an automation that will just do all of this for you. So I that's that's how I actually come up with a lot of the flows. I would just take, for some of the ones that are more like repetitive, where yeah. I would just take, what did you do step by step? And then I will go create an automation based on that. The other side of it, which is sales systems, it's really just knowing the business model to a very good level, both agencies and kind of consulting slash coaching businesses, understanding where are leads coming from? Where is there a potential for the lead to fall through the crack? And how can we, how can we recoup that with automation or even a notification to a setter to go ring that lead? Um, that's a huge thing that people don't put any emphasis on which is where I can come in and pretty much generate a really big ROI by doing that. How much time do you think it saved? Which for a specific automation or for? Yeah. In, in general, let's say, so if you are working with an American agency, if you're doing onboarding, maybe some yeah. client information and whatnot. Yeah. So like a basic, so I had a client who was taking about 63 minutes to onboard a client. And if, if you're doing enough volume, you can, that can take quite a while. I got it down to 60 seconds. So you, you want to value your own time as, as an owner. And I feel like a lot of these guys who are at that 30 to 50K a month, they still take sales calls um, and they still do a little bit of the onboarding. So the problem with that is if you're making, let's say you're making 35 a month, right? You divide that by 4.33 and then you want to divide that by, let's say, 40 hours a week, Okay. That means their their hourly time rate to the business, two hundred bucks an hour. So it's like, mm. if you do that, if you let's say you onboard two people a week, whatever it is, you're you're burning a lot of money just on just on it's that's not a high ROI activity like at all. Like, mm-hmm. would you not rather to have an extra ten hours a month that you can go pull a bigger lever, do more marketing, network, maybe you know go start up a new a new channel to do outreach something like that something like you could build a whole new outreach system in fucking 10 hours and like that could bring you extra 100k in a year instead of you spending you know two hours a week onboarding clients and it can just be done automatically 100 percent, man and that's that's insane the amount of progress you're able to make with just an individual client you know and like there's so much things going off my brain at the moment in terms of like how that could be used for my business or even looking at other businesses you know when you um, started to outreach to, to clients, how did you go about that process when you had no social proof or no testimonials? Yeah. So it's really interesting. I basically, so I've already, so immediately if you're starting on Twitter, right, you need to get your profile sorted. So I got a, I got a pin thread, just proved that I was competent at what I was actually saying and I understood what I was talking about. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, people actually know I can do it. I tweet about it. Then, get a nice pin thread, nice banner, nice header, bio. And I would literally just tell them, hey, let me come in for free. I just want to help you automate some stuff. And I spent a lot of time 
networking with people, just getting on calls and just sitting there for 60 minutes, talking to them, be like, hey, how can I help you? Show me, share your screen there. And it was more of a networking call. So like actually end up being friends with them. But on the side, there was actually the motive for me to really get on the call was to see inside their business. And I was like, this is just, yeah. this data is just so useful for me. So I would get on a call with them. I'd ask them where they at, what's the revenue? How many team members do you have VAs? Do you have this? Because a lot of the time they get VAs to do manual work that can, it can just be automated quite easily. Automated, yeah. Um, so I would have just helped people that way. And with the way the Twitter market or money Twitter, whatever we want to call it, it's quite small, but there is a lot of us. So anyone who I spoke to had friends that were like, hey, can you like, and that's like how I would have got my first paying client was like, hey, my friend needs some stuff. How much for this? And I was like, fuck, here we go. Like, this is just the start of it now. Fuck, man. How did you price your service when you didn't know what you were doing? Awful in the beginning. Awful. (laughs) So I did. And like, I'm still working through that. Like, as time goes on, it's gone up a ton, but like, I'm still working on it. So in the beginning, what I did was I created all of the common automations that I felt like an agency owner would have liked. And I literally made a menu. You know, like you know, like a restaurant on oh, you. Fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. I got <laughs> I sent one of those by a copywriter the other day, wow. and it was so it was two pages long, and oh, no. I, I knew the guy, and I was like, I was like, yeah, I'll have a look because like there's some stuff I need. My website needs to be rewrote or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, what the fuck? Like I feel like I'm in fucking Nando's, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like looking over the menu in Nando's, not having a clue what to yeah. do. It just decision paralysis, like yeah. whatever. Just too, yeah, that's too much you, choice is an issue. So I, I did that in the beginning. I priced them pretty low. So to give context, in my 9 to 5, doing about 30K a year euro. And any bit of money earned outside of it, I looked at it as pure profit, pure savings, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, geez, if I can just make an extra 500 euro a month. Like that was initially, I knew I could turn it into a business, but I was like, I didn't think it would move this quickly. <laughs> so, and I didn't think there was this money up for grabs at the beginning. So yeah. I was just like, right, let's let's make the little menu. I was kind of valuing it off my time, which is stupid. Obviously, just at a higher rate than the nine to five was paying me. Um, so I think like the first one I did, I think I charged them like three hundred, and it was to do like kind of a contract automation. And like, man, like it was not worth it on my end. But it was the fact that I was still so early at it. It, it was using a new tool that I hadn't used in terms of a contract software. It was an absolute bitch to figure out. And I think I spent like six hours on it or something like that. Um, but it just it did his onboarding. And I was like, fuck it. I was like, first paying client. I was like, paid to learn again. And I, I still look at it that way. If there's something where I take a project and it's with, let's say, a CRM that I'm not, you know, 10 out of 10 at, I'll still take it. I won't overprice them because, you know, like, oh, it's going to take me longer. Like, I'm not going to overprice them. For me, I'm like, okay, this is more data. Like, at the next time the client comes, boom, way less time, same money, things like that. Man, I had the exact same conundrum yesterday. There was a client asked me to do something uh, particular and kind of had a little bit of experience and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was like, I said, initially said, no, we probably would need to adjust pricing, so whatever. And he was like, no, like that's not, not within like our remit at the moment. And I was like, okay, grand, maybe one day. And I was in the shower and I was like, fuck, I think I know how I could do this in a certain way. And I went back to him and I was like, fuck it, we'll just do it as is. I was like, forget about it, whatever. And then I think it took us like 
maybe like 15 minutes just to like actually sit and think be like okay this is how we do it this is how we make it look cool this is how we do it as like an MVP and make it look kind of pretty and then we said look let's go and do it and that like kind of capital you're building in your own brain just like the, like yeah. the knowledge capital is just so fucking valuable because it's not about making the money today it's about building the tools and building the processes and building the systems so that in the future you can exactly. be that 50k 50k agency you know yeah exactly and i think that's where a lot of people miss the boat so in the beginning i didn't care that much on the amount of money that i was making i cared more about the relationships that i was building and i'm still focused that way massively and it's Same. it's it's been unbelievable for me it's been so good how i've how i've been able to go from pretty much nobody knowing who i am to now like basically the the top whatever you want to call it you know money twitter's a little weird space but like bigger accounts now vouching for me under different tweets and like right now i'm at a point where it's like i'm just circling between all the really high level guys in there and i'm just helping all them which is unreal fucking hell man that's awesome well done to you man honestly god like firstly that's insane um what's the kind of the growth of your business been like in terms of like if you can speak even revenue figures like obviously yeah. your first year but your thoughts yeah. you know in general yeah so i'm like six months what am i now hang on so if i start let's say i started on twitter which is like wasn't even a business i started in <laughs> august what's that to now is that eight months maybe uh, i don't know eight months yeah eight, yeah eight nine months so started with nothing um let's say sign the first client for 300 uh for context last month i did 20 grand what yeah fuck man and how much time does that take you because like Um, you're so building automation flows the the actual the actual workflows aren't too bad it's the i feel like i spend yeah i suppose it does take a little bit of time all right it's not it's not horrendous but the the other side of it is like you have to market yourself, right? So like there's a lot of hats that you wear as a business owner. So if we're looking course, at, let's yeah. say, time invested on the workflows, well, like 10 hours a week, maybe, something like that. That a lot of a couple of other hours then is like communication, like actually talking yeah. to them, strategizing, things like that. That obviously takes time. The actual execution of a flow doesn't take that long. You just need to map it first. Um, yeah. and the good thing is with a lot of these clients is I am doing very similar things for them, which is great. Um, and are you on your own? Yeah, so I've got a guy recently now, um, but he he's quite entrepreneurial, so I don't think he's going to stay under me forever. Um, but that, that <laughs> that's good. That's was... good in one way, though. That's good yeah. one way. Like, our, my graphic designer is the same. Like, he wants to build a graphic design agency, and I'm like, yeah, I'll help you. Like, I'm figuring yeah. things out. Like, I'll help you, and then you can go and do it someday. Exactly. You know? My my problem, and I know I talk about automation and, and delegating work and scaling my issue is the stuff that i do it is absolutely impossible to create some sort of an sop guide that you can follow because there is too much nuance in the processes where i would literally need a client to have the exact same crm the exact same like let's say naming conventions and the exact same point at which an automation needs to be used inside of a process and I've met for every client that I do, I build a library of video SOPs on how everything's built, how you can edit them, how you can change things. But I, I was hoping that I could just next time I sign a client, just give that library to let's say my employee, but it just doesn't work like that. Every client has their own way of running things and you need to be able to understand that. So my biggest bottleneck is finding good talent and I need, I want someone who knows 
both automation and analytics like I do, which is quite rare. I would have to pull someone out of a nine to five, which this guy's in a nine to five that I've got. And he knows analytics and he knows the no code stuff that I do. So like he's perfect employee, but he's entrepreneurial. So yeah. And, and he's like a freelance at the moment. So you can, it's only yeah. like a bit of cash. You know what I mean? It's not like you're yeah. actually paying someone. That's, exactly. that's the difference. You know what I mean? So I think the next step is either becoming a fractional CTO, CEO, and just running it that way, getting a rev share on the companies and scaling that way. And it's just me keep it lean. I don't think I have a desire to build out 20 team members. I just don't think I want the, the whole reason I've gotten into this and I love business and stuff like that, but it is to live and design a certain life that I want to live, which is just have time location, be able to be free, have your own hours, stuff like that. And I feel like, and how I've seen inside of these agencies is people come in, they get 20, 30 team members and they are swamped. Like they can't move. And even with the, you know, delegating, creating SOPs, automating, there's still going to be work that's there for you. You're not going to like exit, exit. I love people. You know, some people talk about on Twitter, oh, exit your agency. Like, yeah, you can sell it, like, if you build it properly. But the the actual exiting it and sitting on a beach with a cocktail, that's not – your business will start going downhill if you do that. So of course, if you want to run lean, and I've seen a few guys do it, take a rev share, take five clients, and you'll make good money. And it can be you and maybe two subcontractors. And I think that's the way I want to run it yeah exactly man and as you scale up like it just gets more and more complicated a lot of times and even if you do have like automation in your business that doesn't mean that you like you're gonna have more employees and you're on your on your on your books more shit to pay for this is more nuance you know and of course there's a certain there's a time and a place for that um but you don't need like if you're making 30k a month like why the fuck would you ever need any more like what else do you need like you get me of course you can do more shit with that money than as we discussed like in terms of assets building it out but that's of course like the the fundamentals yeah. um let's get into some of the details on actually how you build this out so you start at the very beginning in terms of marketing so the challenge i have with this from my perspective is as you mentioned it's very nuanced mm-hmm. so sometimes the variables are different the naming convention are very different but how are you designing websites to capture leads and how are you following yeah. that process to, to message them? Yeah. So is this specifically for my business or for client businesses? For clients. Okay. So usually what how clients commonalities work. you have. Yeah. So essentially how most B2B marketing agencies or just B2B businesses work is right. You've two forms of traffic. So you've outbound and inbound. Now, what a lot of these guys who I talk to who do well is they have a social media presence, meaning that they create organic traffic, whether it's tweeting, writing tweets, posting stuff on LinkedIn. They'll accumulate people who come to them for their business. So they'll come to them through the link in the bio or they'll DM them or whatever it may be. Then these guys also run automations. They might run LinkedIn automations that outreach the people, message them, might do cold email that outreach the people, and then some of them will run paid advertising. So that's all outbound marketing. Now, all of that, there's a few different forms of how you would capture a lead. A lead can come to your website and some of them have a book or call link where maybe they fill in an application. Depending on the variables that they filled in the application, it's like a decision tree where you go, okay, if they're, let's say you're running a, a Facebook ad agency and you only work with clients who want to spend a minimum five grand a month on ads, we can put inside of this form, okay, if, if how much do you have to spend on ads per month and if they 
submit more than 5k they will start going towards the the decision tree of being able to book a call at the end of the application if not it might just say at the end of it hey sorry um super busy at the moment blah 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 we'll we'll give you a message in 48 hours and what they can do is maybe sell them maybe their down their down sell offer their lower ticket service things like that so from that actual point where someone fills that in and submits it in zapier you can capture the submission automatically so once the submission is done through let's say a tool called typeform that you can embed on your website zapier will pick up the response and then push it to your actual crm so that person will go in as a lead into your crm whether you use close.io hubspot salesforce then that's let's say someone who just came to your website for the people who run advertising you usually wouldn't drive them to your website. You would drive them to what's called a landing page. And obviously with a landing page, there's kind of a, it's one page. You can't click around and click other buttons to get off it. And you have one goal in mind to get them to click something, which is just the call to action, whether it be they fill in a form or they consume a, a lead magnet, like an extra document. Oh, you know, 49 page document showing you how we did A to Z process, whatever your client would have liked. Those would be like opt-ins. So once, and getting those opt-ins, you can use something like ClickFunnels or you could build a landing page and embed a form submission on like ConvertKit, MailChimp, uh, ActiveCampaign. They give you a little, you can create a form inside of those tools and they will give you an embed code that you can copy and put it onto your landing page. So when people submit that, in return, they'll get an automated email with the document and then they're now going to be put into a sequence. And the goal of a sequence then is to warm them up, get them more, more sure of you, show them more social proof about your offer, nail pain points, like absolutely nail their pain points. It's like you need to know your ideal customer inside out. What, like, what are they doing wrong? Where are they feeling hurt? And how can you provide the solution in the best way possible to get them on a call with you? So through those automated emails, and we can talk about how I do it for coaching businesses, I've helped them on that, yeah. where... It'll go through a five, six step email sequence. And at the end, it will be like, hey, book a call with us. And like, you can get a lot of people. And by the time they come to that call, they're pretty much already sold on your service. The the relationship man between inbound versus outbound is crazy. Like yeah. some outbound people have had laugh at me. I've had some people try to insult me, bear in mind. Uh, some guy actually tried to insult how I looked at one stage. I'll tell you that another time. Uh, but inbound is just completely different. If someone messages me or if it's like a referral, like yep. it's already it's already done you know what i mean at that yep. at that point what type of workflow emails are you doing to people to warn them up are you like what's the contents of those emails yeah so with let's say an example for someone who came through the website and then once they book i usually have people uh, you can redirect the url that they're sitting on so it brings them to let's say a thank you page but on the thank you page i get people business owners to record like a, a video and we put that on the landing page where it's like success thank you for booking the call please watch this video before you call it's like a three minute video basically setting expectations need to be in a quiet room they need to be doing this basically just ensuring that they're showing up in the best way possible like you don't want someone showing up to a meeting and they're on the fucking bus or whatever it is you know and we want to make sure the decision maker is actually on the call as well so we would say in the video kind of sales letter that's on the thank you page make sure that you're the decision maker or bring the decision maker with you. Like just the few checks that we need now from there. So let's say they booked through Calendly, which is for anyone who doesn't know, it's just an appointment scheduling tool. Calendly can have a pre-series like workflow 
usually what we do is we give them a confirmation email automatically. I think Calendly does that. Then 24 hours before the call, we remind them, but we give them a case study. So, and how I like to get people to do case studies is do a Loom video, like a Loom video, have the case study, have your face talk, because you can start building the parasocial relationship before they even get on the call with you. So they'll know what he look like, what he sound like. He seems genuine. And like, they know you're a real person. Whereas a lot of people's, you're just seeing and reading things. Whereas if you can yeah. see someone talk and actually look at them before you even get on the call with them, by the time you're going to get on the call, they're going to be like, oh yeah, I feel like I know this guy. So mm-hmm. it's usually a 24 hour and it's a video going over, super quick video, just a case study um, of someone they helped in, let's say, their niche. And then after that, then it's like a, a three hour reminder. Hey, just general reminder, blah, blah, blah. And then 15, one hour and then 15 minutes. And that's it. And have you ever tested what it's like with that or without it? Yeah. So I think I don't have the numbers now, but I have it on Twitter. I helped an agency say 70 something percent show up rate to like 90 something. So like it's huge. Like I had to, I helped an agency recently doing, I think it was hundred K a month. I added an SMS text for in one of those flows and yeah. it's going to add an extra hundred K a year to the business. How? Just, just, from because perform- they- just from getting the show up rate better. So based on their current show up rate, based on their close rate from increasing the show up rate from X to Y, they, they should make based off their current close rate an extra hundred K a year from this automation. Oh my God, man. Yeah. And that's, it's a small nuance is what you're yes. essentially doing, you know? <laughs> Yeah. But 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 how the fuck are you figuring out these nuances though? Did you just like iteratively work on it and say, okay, well, mm-hmm. calendary, I did two steps, now I've done four steps. Yeah, there's a lot of data tracking and like I'm a big fan of making data-driven decisions. So like split testing is a huge thing in this game where people obviously are marketing. If you, have a, if you have a website or a landing page that you run for ads, you would usually make two of them and then you would change some sort of a variable on the actual page. So whether this be the color scheme, how you wrote the call to action button, did you say book a call or book your call? You know, there's a few things that you can change on these, you know, on these flows and then just run the data against each other over a long enough time horizon and a big enough sample size. Um, From what I've seen working, like obviously I'm still only a few months at this. um, It's usually the one where it's 24 hours before six three hours and then 15 minutes works a treat um like in the nature of some people's businesses especially if you're running a lot of outbound traffic you're you're just going to get a certain amount of no-shows and that's just the way it is usually if someone's inbound they really won't no-show you because they came to you um but yeah happens man even on my podcast like i i've noticed when i stop sending people prep information Mm-hmm. there was actually more no-shows or like last minute yeah. cancellations whereas mm-hmm. if you contact them a week, a week beforehand like that's just like and yep. I, that's something small like i'm not looking to, yep. for them to buy something off me you know that's yep. just like a it's just i guess it's more time on screen more relevancy yep. and you're able to get, get that better connection as you move through the, the funnel i guess and you move into the next part about like your actual onboarding so how do you really capture information because something that i caught, thought was quite interesting from your tweets is that you know you say you populate of tasks when things are finished yeah but how are they consistent because like for me when yeah. i try to think about that it's like well the tasks would be different in some regards so how do you work through that gonna work yeah so for onboarding specifically there's usually just 
what usually what you would need to do as a business owner is you'll need to update your CRM. You'll need to give them some sort of a contract. You need to give them some sort of a welcome email that gives them a link to maybe an onboarding form so you can capture data and then maybe a link to a kickoff call. So from there, you want to build obviously a communication channel. Most people use Slack. Um, and then you want to make an assigned task for your team. Now, for the actual straightforward, the onboarding, what I get people to do is whether it's your closer or your sales guy, whoever takes the actual deal and closes it on the call, I get them to fill out what I call an activation form. Now, inside of this, we put in the client details, whether it's the, you know, the first name, their email, the business name. Then inside of there, I put like, what contract type are we going to be clicking? Because some businesses have different offers. So I have a hooked where they can select, okay, this is our lower ticket paid ads offer or whatever this may be. From there, when they select that option, they then punch in the actual variables of the contract. Are we taking an onboarding fee? Is it a revenue share? You know, whatever the details is of the actual contract. From there, you can then hit submit. It will update CRM, populate the correct contract, send it to the client's email, uh, send them the welcome email with the link to the onboarding form and the kickoff call. And then it will start generating the tasks in the project management tool. Now, dependent on the offer, we can have that as a variable in relation to the project management tool. So if it's the lower tier paid ads offer, we know it's the these 10 tasks and we know it needs to get assigned to this person as opposed to the person who works on the higher ticket offer. So I can create these kind of variables in place where it's like dependent on what was chosen, it will then create a certain task or a certain series of tasks. Um, so you can be really custom with it. Then another step of it is, I'm not sure how familiar you are with cold email, but how cold email works is you need to scrape like your ideal prospects and dependent on who your ideal prospect is, they're going to sit in a database online that you can pay for. And for some people who run cold email, they will take on clients and they need to go scrape the client's ideal customer. So what I used to do for that person was they'd fill in another form and it'd be like, what database are we going to scrape them from? What uh, what tech are we going to use? And basically, once they hit submit, the tasks will get populated, but they'll be like variables. So it'll be like buy ten Google domains as opposed to Outlook, <laughs> or like buy buy yeah. uh, scrape from store leads, which is a database instead of Apollo. So there's like these little variables that you can put, and like depending on the input, you can just change the output. Man, this is blowing my mind. There's literally there's, <laughs> there's so much in this, man. Holy shit. I have to go back over like a million times. <laughs> Question for you on this is like, how do you create those flows in Zapier, Zapier, however you fucking pronounce it? Like, yeah. how did you construct those nuances? Because when I fuck with Zapier, man, like, some of it keeps accusing the shit out of me. Like, yeah, it can be quite overwhelming in the beginning. I think having a fundamental understanding of data before coming into this has worked a ton for me. So like it can get, I can get fancy with it just because I know how data communicates. So for an example of the onboarding one that I just spoke about, where you submit a activation form and it then updates the CRM, how it actually updates the CRM is it looks up the email. So when we put in that form, we brought in the client's email. When we hit submit inside of the Zapier workflow, the trigger for everything is just Google form submission. The next step is update the CRM. How we actually update the CRM is we used it based off the email field 
inside of the form. So we know this guy's email is already in our CRM because we've been talking to them. So it's going to do a lookup and it's going to go find this email in the CRM for me and then update their current status from uh, second call booked to now closed one. So you have to use certain fields that can look up to other pieces, um, other software that can then kind of like move forward. Um, having that understanding has been huge for me because if I find something where a tool doesn't have an integration that I can't use or it doesn't have a certain trigger, I'll find a workaround. Like I'll just build a workaround. Like I'll just use it. I'll connect it to Google Sheets and I'll build a formula. And then I'll have, when that formula gets populated, it will then trigger something else. I'll work a way around it. So I've created some stuff that gets fairly complex. Um, yeah. But most of the time, it can be relatively straightforward as long as you have the understanding of data. Have you have you ever had any shit shows with like sending the wrong information, like it's signaling the wrong way for? Because yeah. like for instance, I give it, I give you an example. Like if you were, for instance, we we talked about email beforehand. Mm-hmm. If someone clicked on an email, or clicked on a link on an email, and then didn't book a call, mm-hmm. and then you sent them this email, this fucking message, being like, "Oh, saw so you're interested. Here's a fucking free guide." But <laughs> they went onto your Twitter and dropped you a message. And now you've gotcha. like fucked the relationship because like gotcha. they've already messaged you and then you're sending them all this like random shit. <laughs> I get you. So like accidentally triggered a sequence for something else. That's, That's my biggest fear with the whole thing because <laughs> because I have this stuff internally, just purely internally, but but not necessarily externally. Even when I was using Lemlist, man, like I had fucking like it came out of it like a, like a clash with my with my brain in a small way because yeah. I was like I don't want to send an email to someone who could potentially be on my podcast in a few years or or, or whatever like there was all this kind of like yeah. decisions I was making in my head you know I think so like quality control is obviously something that has to be factored and that's something that I would have learned in the nine to fives or like version control quality control all that sort of stuff comes into play here um. I run, so a great example of this. So to first answer your question, no, I haven't fucked anything up as of yet. Um, (laughs) So that's been fine. And if I have, it's something that's super small and it's usually internal where it's like a task. When I'm dealing with something that's client facing, whether it be a CRM automation or a client receiving an automated email, automated text, I'm really, really careful on how that actually goes out. So I usually put my own data in for all of the flows. So I sign up for the, the lead magnet. I, I opt in through their website with my own personal information. And when I run all of my tests, it's done on my own information. So that means when I do an SMS, I'm actually going to go get it on my iPhone. So I know it's working. Um, mm-hmm. I do it that way. I think that's the safest way because, yeah, my worst fear would be stuff triggering. Let's say I'm asleep because I'm in the UK and most of my clients are in America, a couple hours behind me. Imagine I'm asleep and then I wake up to a, a shitstorm of messages. Luke, there's been 6,000 emails sent to the wrong people. I'm going to be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's like an email. It's like, hey, name. I want yeah. to talk to you about subject shit like exactly. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fucking funny. Uh, you write a lot about as well about fulfillment. And man, I've, yeah. I've learned so much stuff. So my actually best mate, you probably know actually a guy called Tom Tracy. Yeah, I I know I've heard of his name. Yeah, yeah. So so I don't know. Does Tom know that you're from fucking court? But he sent me your shit. Oh, like about three months. That that's why I reached out to you, man. He sent me oh, your stuff, right. being like, he texted me, being like, oh, like obviously the biggest challenge for you 
getting to like 15 or 20k a month is like operations and i was like yeah definitely and then he was like oh this dude on twitter just like describes how to do it that's that's literally how i met you initially <laughs> um but you write a lot about fulfillment and especially things like having like a digital fucking brain of your business yeah. can you talk me through that process yeah so essentially what a digital brain is is a user tool called lucid chart now in simple yeah. terms what lucid chart is is essentially it's a massive flow chart that you can build and link things together and it's quite common in just business processes and it's what a lot of corporate businesses would use when they design a process and kind of get it approved by the board or you know higher ups whatever it may be you would design the system show how it works and then from there so it's mapped on paper essentially it's just mapped on paper and from there you would actually go build it now inside of lucid chart it's a great tool um I've come up with like, and I think I I didn't invent this terminology of digital brain. I think I saw it online. But what it is is essentially every single possible operation inside of your business is on one page. And it's huge. And the good thing with Lucid Chair is you can zoom in, you can zoom out, blah, blah, blah. So like you don't have to make it tiny. Make it as big as you want. Now, how you would start with building something like this is looking at your customer journey and mapping it through all of the steps that happen in between from the moment of the client finding you, going all the way to actually getting on a call with you, onboarding them, all of the steps, starting the fulfillment, getting up to scratch on the fulfillment, and then the recurring fulfillment as well. And then even if when they churn, you have an offboarding program as well. So like the full A to Z on what happens. Now, in the reason you do this is when you scale out and bring on more team members, it's very easy for them to come into this digital brain and actually understand what happens inside of your business. A lot of the time, if you're running, let's say you're running a massive company, it's fair enough. Like you can, you can get someone and they do one specific task and that's their job. Just sure there's people in nine to fives. They don't even know what their business does. They don't even know what the company does. And they're just sitting there in Excel. They do two reports and they, they talk to this manager weekly on this. Whereas if you've, if you've, let's say, 10 employees, 5 employees, 15 employees, usually your employees will do more than what someone would as, into a bigger company, than a bigger company. Um, and that's why people like taking jobs at startups because you get loads of responsibility, right? So yeah. when you pull these people in, they're going to actually fundamentally need to understand how your business operates at a full level. And you are going to waste a ton of time explaining it to them for them just to forget. So if you build a digital brain, they will actually see how it works. Now, there's another level to it where what you do is you build SOPs, right? Standard operating procedures, step-by-step guides on how you actually do the individual processes and you link them on the digital brain. So if your employee was like, okay, uh, I forget how we onboard someone, right? They can go click on the onboarding section and there will be a Loom video tutorial breaking down all the in- intricacies of the onboarding process. So be like, here's the link that we use that we send on the form. Here's the template for the welcome email that gets sent. That gets sent through the Zapier workflow here. Here's a video on that. It's just so much information, but you can pinpoint it. So it's not like you go to a library and you have to scroll the library. You can look at the brain as like an eagle, eagle's eyes view. And then zoom in, be like, okay, what usually happens with offboarding? We haven't offboarded someone in ages. How does that work? You zoom in into Lucid Chart. 
you see the onboarding section, you can see the steps being mapped out, and then there's a Loom video linked. You're like, hey, let me actually just watch the video. And then the video breaks it all down. So that's the goal of it. Nobody does this stuff, but I feel like it's so essential. Um, and it, it takes a while to build. Like, I understand that. But yeah. the ROI on it is massive. The only time I started to do that, uh, which wasn't the full end of the business, it was more the outbound process, was you might know Propane Fitness, Yusuf from, Pro, from Propane. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yusuf was on my podcast with my good mates, Colin as well, introduced me to him. And he showed his outbound process whereby someone clicks on a, a lead magnet fucking tool and they send him like a work, uh, fucking workout like tutorial and it goes through that process. And he helps coaches go from like 1K a month to like 5K a month, 10K a month. Uh, so he, he's training uh, PT coaches, basically, basically. And I remember seeing that process and being like, what the fuck? It's so, it's so clear. And doing that for myself just for the outbound part, but not the fulfillment part. Yeah. And I think that's where like the, the gap is at because like yeah. you probably, like, do you find many people that their fulfillment is quite custom? It's bespoke a lot of the time. Yeah, I do. And that's one thing that I struggle with on pricing. So yeah. for, for me, how I usually started twisting it. So in the beginning, I helped people with fulfillment because that's usually where the most manual work is. There is a lot of manual work on the sales side and like recovering a lot of stuff there. But if you don't have a good system for fulfillment, like what's the point of scaling the front end in terms of the marketing if you can't actually handle exactly. it on the back end? So Exactly. You can't bring in well, more clients. You don't yeah. have more time. You know? So my originally... What I started doing recently is I sell people on the actual sales system side first. So I sell them on, hey, let me clean up your existing sales process. Let me redesign that, re-engineer that. Then, so after they have already paid me, I say, then I will look at your fulfillment because it is extremely difficult for me to give a quote on a job where I actually can't see their back end. And the back end can go on forever. Like some people's like, if they have a big enough company, like there's going to be so much going on and their expectation might be, I can just automate everything when in reality, that's just not the case. So it's very difficult for me to pitch a quote unless we, we drag through like four or five calls and they have to share their screen. And that's such a time sink for me, which I'm not, you know, I'm not prepared to do. Um, I'm at a point where I just can't do it. So I sell them on the front end of like sales systems. And then I kind of like upsell the back end of like the actual fulfillment, how that works for most people. And really, like, if you want to actually have a good operation for your fulfillment, first of all, I tell you, automation is not going to save your life. Like, good talent will. So finding good talent and then being able to work with the talent in terms of giving them the resources that they need to excel because they will, they'll be the ones that will figure out how to improve a process because they are using the process day in and day out they will spot the bottlenecks um, then obviously like the automation can come in so when I actually help people I don't really talk with the CEO for the fulfillment like yeah a brief overview I go straight to the, the staff I go straight to the guy who's sitting there doing the process 16 times over per day I'm like okay step by step what do you do and I run through it that way and from obviously my knowledge of, of data and systems I can find shortcuts on the automation that will take something that say usually takes them an hour and a half. We can bring it down to less than an hour, whatever it may be. Um, that's just from using like formulas, lookups. It, maybe they're they're manually putting data here. Then they need to go find data from this database, and then they need to go put it to a different software. 
where originally I could do something where like, hey, how about you fill in this form? Once you submit the form, it will go to that tool that will look up against that tool, find the data you need there, and then input it automatically over there. And then they're like, oh, shit, wow. Like, didn't even know that could could happen. (laughs) So, like, the streamlining fulfillment, if I could give advice for anyone, it's understand how to build great SOPs. And then it's finding good talent and don't cheap out on it um, because they're the ones that will actually do all the heavy lifting there. Um, And then, obviously, invest in someone like me, I suppose, where I can come in and just give them more time to actually work on new processes. How do you focus on the QA part of things? So, so like with fulfillment, yeah. what I've often found is that like there's always like a tit for tat going back and forth. Like this is just this is just how does automation even work in? How does that come a yeah. part of that process? Like, it's it can be difficult with like I make something and then someone's like, hey, can we change it? Or like, hey, can we update this? Stuff like that. That's um, good though. You have yeah. more fucking management fees. That's true, and like you can. With the actual getting it set up, I kind of, I run through the process with them. I make a systems design on Lucidchart. And then what happens is I will basically, because you you have to be quite smart on when like something is live and moving. And then I'm going to be creating an automation that impacts that. Where it's like, if I turn this thing on for like a split second, there's going to be stuff running through here. Um, So the actual timing of it, I usually, the good thing is I'm on different hours to them. So I'll usually turn something on when they're asleep and like stuff's not really happening. Um, but the actual like kind of like version control and stuff like that, it's really, I go through, I make a rough draft and then I test it on my end. I put in all, all of like my data in there and then you can do like in Zappi, you can make stuff offline that you've probably seen where like you just get yeah. some test data and you can just build it and you can manually test every single trigger. Um, so no live data is actually running through this thing. So I do that, make sure it's working, and then I run I run obviously the, the business owner through the process, being like, hey, we good to switch this on. And then once it's switched on, we let the data flow. Um, and then if there's anything, usually after something's flowing, they then get because they start seeing it work and they're like, Oh shit, this is actually working. Then their brain actually kicks in, they're like, fuck, what else can we do? So that's yeah. when I start upselling like a ton because they're now like, oh shit, this stuff actually works. What else can we automate here? Because this is now saving me a ton of time. Hundred percent, man. And for your for your perspective, then, like, how do you how do you package everything? Like, how are you packaging those upsells? Yeah. So it really. So I the good thing about what I do, I suppose, is like it can be fully custom. Like I will I will build you what you need exactly, as long as obviously it's worth it for me in terms of price and whatnot. Um. So how I usually price right now is I sell them on a full CRM build out along with the onboard automation. So an example of what this looks like is like either you have an existing CRM or I might, what I'm doing with a client now is I'm working on an agency doing like 300k a month and I'm migrating their CRM from one system to another. So I'm building it from scratch and then I'm actually building it fully, connect everything. And at the very end, I'm going to download all the data on the old system and put it into the new one. So why, why do you need to build it from scratch? Like, so we're actually swapping that? software. So I recommended a new CRM that they should use. So we're changing okay. the, actual, the actual software. So I price it where it's like, for the upsells, it's usually, it really just ranges on what they need. So some people who are at that higher level of revenue numbers and just have more data, they're going to need reporting. 
and most businesses don't have an efficient reporting process. So if I can come in and basically I can tell them what will be on the dashboard and kind of make just a simple what it would look like. So let's like draw something out, uh, whether it be on Lucidchart. I can be like, hey, you're going to have metrics on all of this and you're going to be able to slice and dice it by this. So an example for someone listening would be if you're looking at your sales forecasting figures or just your sales figures in general, you'd be able to see, okay, how much was created in our pipeline within the last 14 days? And it's like, okay, 100K in pipeline, grand. How much was closed one? Say 20,000. Then you have a little leaderboard. Who are the closers? Oh, John's closing 30% of his calls, whereas Jason's only closing 12%. Why is that? Let Jason go listen to one of John's call recordings. Does he need sales training? Uh, was he sell- is he selling a different product than what John's selling? You can just start looking at all the data being like, where is their bottlenecks inside of a process? Because the goal of a business owner is you want to come in and you want to sit down and you literally want to boot up a dashboard and be like, where does my attention need to be? So if you're sitting there and you pull up a dashboard and you're looking at sales metrics, your sales are down 20%. And then you go to the leaderboard and John is down 50% on what he was last month like why is that is there something going on with john like and then you go listen go back listen to his calls or like get them to go listen to his calls whatever it may be or if a certain product uh you sold 30 percent less it's like why is that oh we spent less on paid ads or oh the ads we got a, a, a 2x ROAS as opposed to a 4x so you can pretty much pinpoint as long as you just keep clicking the data it will tell you the source of what's the issue and from that, you can then go fix it at source instead of waking up every day and saying, oh, I feel like doing this today or I feel like doing that today. And like, I love, I love it where people talk about, oh, high, or, high ROI activities, blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, you don't even know what a high ROI activity is if you don't have a dashboard. <laughs> like, yeah, you, yeah. Need, you need to go in, get into the dashboard and look at where your attention needs to be. Where are you pulling that data from uh, traditionally for like reporting? and so, all your financials yeah so for sales reporting you what i do is i, I set up something so there's integromat which is another tool like zapier um what's called make now or zapier basically how i do reporting on the sales side is whenever a new status in the crm so if you think of crm you've qualified lead lead booked call lead canceled lead no showed second call booked uh, contract sent and then closed one closed lost like a simple pipeline Whenever those statuses change, that sends data to like a database. Mm-hmm. And you, like when I say database, this can literally be an Airtable or a Google Sheet. Like most of these businesses don't have that much data where it's like, oh, I need a SQL database, stuff like that. Like yeah. you don't need it. Um, so each time it will get populated, these new rows of data and like what I would pull in, I'd pull in the created date, the updated date, what lead it was, what was the email, what was the status, what was the opportunity value, like all these sort of metrics. And then when a deal gets closed, we have the, in the activation form, we put, put let the closer put in what was the cash collected amount and that will put into the sheet. And then I will hook stuff like their Stripe or like their PayPal or whatever the payment processor is. And that will go to a finance sheet as well. Um, so all of the data gets pushed to like a Google, a massive Google sheet or like Airtable database. And from there, I use a tool called Google Data Studio that can then make dashboards on the actual stuff. Um, so in my actual, back in like 
my previous reporting job, I used a tool called Power BI, but that's specifically for Microsoft. So I'm in the process of like learning Google Data Studio to the ability that I know Power BI. Um, so it, it, the reason being is because most of the guys I work with use MacBooks. So yeah. I, I need to be able to use the software that, that's compatible with a MacBook. Um, so that's something that, I, that I've had to kind of overcome as, as the months go by. Fuck, man. And like, just thinking further about your, your business, like what's your goal like going forward? Yeah, so like my goal potentially is just emerge into like a, a, CT, a fractional CTO or CEO, um, have one, have like maybe one to two subcontractors under me, um, take a revenue share of the business because that will give me so much more incentive to to keep innovating. Um, having a rev share for more leverage, obviously, and then more skin in the game. Taking it to, like, what, last month's 20K? Like, if I could... I don't... So I'm not I'm not that money-hungry. Like, I'm not materialistic or anything like that. I, I like, obviously, like, money gives you freedom, stuff like that. But if I could get this thing to, like, I don't know, 50k a month like pretty soon that would be nice maybe 50, maybe 50 a month and not not slaving like a dog for it like that's that's really the ideal scenario like i would rather let's say right now so let's say last month's 20k let's say i was working 80 hours a week i would genuinely rather work 30 hours a week and make two grand like i would genuinely i know there's a point in time that you have to suffer and you have to you have to really put in the grueling hours to, to scale and get the thing off the floor and everyone has their time in that but to me, I'm I'm 24 and early 25. Like, I the last from the age of 18 to now, I really put my head down and like I didn't do a whole pile. Like I really put the head down, um, and now I'm like reaping the rewards over. Like I'm going out for food constantly. I'm going to be traveling a ton now, spending loads of time with family. Which I I it's funny. Like I obviously I moved away, but my relationship with my family is better now than it was um, because time away from them and then when we actually meet up it's like unreal because i don't have to go into the office i can just turn off the laptop and we can just spend our full days together and it's unreal and like money is not an issue so it's like you can go for food do what you want like it's all the normal stuff and it's great 100 percent, man you get everything with none of the fucking drawbacks now of course you've slaved at it Mm -hmm. and similar enough to me man as in just being fully hog for like years at it and of course it takes fucking time like it takes many years but i just was speaking with this on a podcast last week i learned this from propane fitness that they had a video you might have seen it and it was like if you work a nine to five going from 100k to 150k a month or sorry a year you you need to increase your hours so they expect the managing director to go from 60 hours to 80 hours a week and they go from 150 to 200k a year you you expect them to work from 80 hours to 100 hours a week and there's a point it's a, so it's like a, it's like a convex curve it goes backwards yeah. and there's a point in that curve where people want to hand back all the money mm-hmm. so that they can work less spend time with their family their kids yeah. whatever the fuck to have and i just think it's very interesting because like even when you're building your business these types of businesses that we're building uh even though they require a tremendous amount of fucking time and risk and, yeah. and input it's so that you can be able to do more shit and spend some time in fucking Argentina, go fucking go to Bali when you want to go to Bali and not have to be, not have to have so much to be responsible for. Yeah. And making, and I think it's a lot. And the other side of it is the actual fulfillment. So like me making the money, 
and it's literally from me doing the work. Hundred percent. It feels so much better than you would doing a, a good job in your your nine to five or whatever it is. Like actually, when I when I first started getting the first few payments, I was just like, "This is so cool!" Like I I've I've done the marketing myself. Like I found found the clients, found me, or I found the clients. Onboard the clients. Clients actually trusted me with their money, and it's like actually got to do the fulfillment, and they're happy with it. And it's like that's actually making your own money that way is like especially if you're like entrepreneurial when you're younger and growing up and things like that, like the, the fulfillment from it. And I'll never forget like the, the first payment that I got was just like, that's still the best feeling. Like just getting the 100%. first payment. It's just so nice. Um, I've said this a thousands of a podcast, but there was a, the first time I worked for a company in state street, it was state street in London. And this guy, this contractor who like wasn't a full-time employee said to me, he was like, the money you make for yourself will be more than you'll ever make for anyone else. Yep. and it just fucking like you know your mind just it just goes and at the time i had like it was like a it was like e-com it was actually it wasn't drop shipping i had like vintage clothes coming from like italy and i was living in london and i was just selling them online and i actually had a copyright fucking strike from from uh from nike who threatened to fucking sue me for trademark infringement so i stopped doing it but it it, it set the fucking it was a seed though you know what i mean yeah and and to be honest, man, from there I went on to work for companies and make way more money. Like as in, you know, I can never say that I I wasn't like that because like I was I was up to a certain point very committed to that process, you know, and I really yeah. wanted to do it. And then after a while, then I think you just you just fall in love with it. You know, what I mean, you move on to other things. What you want, what what you want with life. Yeah, and one thing for for people, I suppose, if you're listening and you're you want to start your own thing and let's say you know at the beginning everyone might say like they're money hungry and stuff like that but if you're getting into business really understand why are you getting into business because you're not getting into business for the sake of getting into it the reason i got into it and the reason i always want to get into it was because you can be on your own hours you can you're kind of in control of what you can make and then you can kind of design the actual life that you want so for me like i said there a little bit earlier i don't have crazy aspirations to get like 50 employees and go to 100 million or whatever the whatever the hell it is like for me i want to get it to where i have nice cash flow healthy profit margins i have a great network of people that i can lean on they can lean on me and actually live the life that i want to like i don't want to spend 100 hours a week working like i don't know who does maybe some people in the beginning they're like oh i just want to maybe it's an ego thing i don't know or genuinely maybe someone actually wants to go to that sort of a level but for me what i need like just figure out what do you need what's your base costs nice apartment, nice this, go out for meals, spend time with family, couple holidays, like all the nice stuff. You don't need that much money to actually do that. Um, so when, when you get to like, I can't, I can't talk for people who are at like 50K a month, but like when, like even like 20 grand a month, like what you can't, like if you're doing that consistently, there's not much you can't do. Like you'd have to Absolutely, be blowing, a, you'd have to be blowing a lot of money um, to, to run through it. So it's like, if, if you're trying to start something get off the floor you'd be surprised how quickly it can kind of scale up and actually you can design kind of like the life you want to live day to day but that that's a ceo salary that's 250k a year for like a fucking SaaS company or something you know yeah that's that's why that's why and like so i actually can speak a, a bit to this i guess um i do think that this hundred hour fallacy comes from being like vc backed yeah and because like if you got 
if anyone gives you money, if you gave me 10 quid, I would feel obliged to fulfill that 10 quid equivalent. Mm -hmm. So when these companies raise like 30 million, 40 million, like I know a guy that recently raised 80 million and like Jesus Christ, like it was like the worst fucking timing ever to do it. Uh, They've raised obviously way more than what what they needed to. And I've never heard of the guy since. Like he's literally like locked away in an office in London. I've never heard of him, never seen him. I don't see any PR anymore. Uh, and I know he's doing 100 hours a week because he has to fulfill the money because the money's not fucking free. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know? In yeah. some degree. So there's, there's that paradigm. And that's where I got really into the side of the world because I was thinking like, okay, well, I can do, I can run a business off, like, I think it's like $600 or $900 a month. Yeah. And from there, costs kind of increase at a certain point. Uh, but basically, you know, I can still get up to, as you said, twenty thousand technically a month, yeah. um, and not have any of the headache. And well, of course, yeah. I'll still be working, you know. But, but the, it's the not rosy. Yeah. The way the great thing about these business models is they're super, super lean. Like, and what I mean by that, like, let's say last month was twenty k, the actual cost to run that for me, obviously without my time, blah blah blah, it was three hundred, three hundred to run it. Yeah. With, with, with an employee? No, not for the employee. Not for the employee. This is tech. Um, okay. The employee, let's yeah, say, the let's employee say I've, only just, yeah, I've only just started. Um, so, I, yeah. Like 300. These, yeah. So, the actual, like for me, like full, actually full numbers last month was literally 300 quid in costs. 300. Um, I would be the same. Actually, I would yeah. actually be the exact same. It's like so, I'd have so like lean. fucking, I'd have, I'd have less to be honest. Yeah. Like my main thing is my courses. They cost a fucking load. (laughs) Some of them, some of them cost a lot of money, man. They're like they're like a thousand a year or some shit to run. Yeah, bullshit. Like having having that ability to spin up something out of thin air, selling like essentially when you when you're selling services, like you're just selling info. At the end of the day, like it's another another point of info. It's just done for you. Um, obviously, I might dabble into the course scene soon i've had so many people ask me can i make a zapier course or can i do something and um, because another thing i suppose I, I haven't told you about yet obviously we talked before this uh i sold a guy not long ago for four grand on my sops i just gave him the videos and a couple of consultation calls <laughs> so essentially Gosh. yeah like he wanted he wanted certain stuff done i he didn't have the budget but obviously i wanted to get charged or whatever get paid and i was like listen I, i've got what you need i was like i've done it before i was like i'll give you the videos but i was like the problem is if i just gave him the videos as i said before there's a lot of nuance in people's processes so you want to tweak yeah. things stuff like that so i was like i'll give you the videos plus consultation calls with it so i gave him like three calls three one-hour calls with the videos so you can take the videos start it and then when he wants to cash in on the calls, he can cash in. And that's huge yeah, leverage so, for me. Very minimal time yeah. investment, um, but great money. 100%. So basically, you, it's it's a combination of do it for you and do it with you to some degree, but you don't yeah, do any of that. You have the lifting. It's pretty much a done with you, yeah, at the end of the day. So I have like some experience with creating courses, and I use it as like a fucking downsell or just, just an extra mm-hmm. thing on the side. And I've spoke, like I've, recorded people like Charles Miller who's recently relaunched his course and done incredibly well and I think courses work really well once and I've learned this the hard way when you reach a certain level of audience size for sure so like my course is like $250 it's like how to start a podcast course and like it's really detailed like lots of templates lots of outbound stuff it's very like it's very like advanced I would say but is it really that effective 
not really because I don't have the Justin Welsh or Matt Gray reach, you mm-hmm. know, and that's that's like the difference. So I think like, and I kind of work as like a fractional kind of like advisory basis with a startup in Ireland. And I always say the exact same thing is that like, it's like, where's your energy best spent? And if it's like a done for done for you model, if it's a 5k client, like you can sell those all day and it's, it's mm-hmm. way more beneficial. So yeah. <laughs> I just think it's when you reach a critical mass size, it's like, okay, this becomes valuable because yeah. creating, so I have a background, bear in mind in video, audio and everything. Like this is like literally what I fucking do. And it still took me four weeks to make. And that was three hours a day, every day. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, there's a lot of investment, yeah. but there comes a point, obviously, like you said, with the social media following, when it gets to a certain point, pulling the lever with a course or some sort of a community is just massive. Like there's there's some Irish guys, uh, fitness fellows, like Sean Fitness and Sean Casey is his other name. I know one of them is doing about 50K a month. And just off a community where people are paying 50 euro a month to do gym challenges and talk it's a facebook group he's doing 15k a month from that he's got like 300 and something members and it's just like a little community well not little there's over 300 people um, exactly but like you can for him the time investment for that is probably very minimal jumps in talks to people does a video creates a challenge blah blah i think he does you know he does winners like my friend he he's in it and he he won two grand because he, he lost like 20 kilos in 10 weeks um jesus christ like, man yeah so it's can, mad the community they're hot mm-hmm. community pages right now. And I know Dakota is doing like cohort based writing, mm-hmm. um, which is like sick as well. So like, I don't know, like the cap to 60 people, everyone yeah. pays like 3k and it's like six weeks long or whatever it is. So that stuff is very like, I think it's, it's interesting. Like, cause like, I feel like courses was like a COVID play a small bit. Like it yeah. just, it worked really well during COVID. And I feel like now it's a like community cohort based because I agree. those people who started, are now a critical mass of 150, 200k. Like the code is at like 200k on you on Instagram, as well as Twitter. So like, no, what what does he need? Like half a percent penetration to fill up fucking yeah. sixty thousand dollars? You know, it's just Dude. for it's just a bit. Sometimes you got to see where you're at, where you're at, and how it works. You know. Yeah, and I think it depends on the information that you're selling. Do you have an edge on competitors? do you do you even have many competitors like i work with a lot of coaching businesses and it really is kind of like the new wave i suppose rather than courses because with coaching you can have a a very very tangible outcome so a great thing that that i see in the offers with coaching programs is there's a risk reversal so it's like we guarantee to take you from zero to 3k a month um if you don't make your investment back within X time frame, full refund, no questions asked. Now, I've launched recently with Mike, landing page guy. Um, he He's my friend in real life. He's not technical at all. So he started make, doing landing pages and he got out of his 95 to five landing pages. And he was like, if I could just teach people what I've done, he's like, I'd love it. I was like, let's spin up a coaching program. So I built the whole funnel, did the whole thing. We This would be funny because it relates to data. I got him to take 30 free consult calls, right? So we sent out, we brought up the email list, got up to a couple thousand, and then we sent out an email saying, hey, I'm going to do 30 free consult calls. What I did was I prepared him to do five questions that he had to ask everyone. They're 15-minute calls, and he just needed to collect data doing market research. What's the common goal that you want to get to? How much money do you want to make? Like, you'd think people say 10K a month. They don't. It's like, oh, if I could just make two grand a month doing this. So yeah. took what was your biggest roadblock? Like 
all those sort of questions. I'm going to put it into an Excel sheet. So that means I have all the data I need on our ideal person that we're pitching to. What's the terminology they use? What's the price that they want? What's the biggest obstacle? Everything like that. So I used all that data inside the email funnel then that pitched them the coaching. So we haven't even marketed this coaching program to Twitter, and we've done 30K in a month and a half. Um, yeah. So it's 3K a pop. We've gotten 10 people in. Um, and what's the, what's the so we'll take model you from of zero, coaching? We'll, so we'll take you from zero to 3K a month. Um, the goal is to do it within three months, but you get access to the coaching for 12 months. Um, and if you don't make your money back to 3K, you get a full refund. Because like, so, and actually as of last night, so the coaching has been up a month and a half. We had a guy close 3K yesterday. There you go. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. So it's nuts. So basically we're getting people in. Obviously we make sure we qualify them. We don't want people who aren't going to put in the work, blah, blah, blah. I've yeah. had to put serious accountability measures inside of the program. So like a part of the process. And the reason we haven't advertised this to Twitter is we're running like a beta test. I need to capture huge on data. I'm capturing what are the common questions people are asking? What can we put into a course for when they join the coaching? We make it like a game where it go, okay, complete these six modules. When you complete these six, then you get a call that you can book with Mike. And then you talk to Mike for a bit. And then you go along on your next action steps. Because what we felt was people were, they wanted to get on calls, but it's like Mike would be like, what have you done? And they haven't really done much. So Mike's like, what can we even talk about? You know what I mean? Exactly. So you want exactly. them constantly pushing. So right now, like that's what we're doing. We've got like our beta round of people, obviously got a nice amount of cash collected for it. And people are seeing results already. And it's only been a month and a half. Jesus Christ, yeah. man. You're into a lot of shit coming up for this year, so. Yeah. Yeah. And like the thing is, I get the insider look of all the big programs. So I work with people who are doing millions a year on coaching. So I understand like the sales cycle, sales process. I look at the fulfillment. Like I have eyeballs on everything. Same with agencies. Like I've been with agencies to do 300K a month, 50K a month, 10K a month, 100K a month. So I can see how they all work and how they all differ. Um, and I think I tweeted about that today, where it's, it's just invaluable, like the stuff that I get to see on a daily basis. Would you ever want to build something like that yourself? In terms of coaching? Uh, coaching or like, let's say, a different type of agency or something? Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's such a headache, like from talking to the business owners and just seeing how yeah. it is. The responsibility becomes absolutely crazy. And just at this moment in my life, I'm still only what a couple of months at this. I'm enjoying it, but I'm like, geez, would I want that additional stress? Like, not that not that I get stressed easily because I would have never got to the point that I'm at now. I can handle stress really, really well. Of course. That's the but, only way you can get there. Yeah, but it's looking at the the other point is like, okay, what would what would I really like in terms of having something that's 300 k a month versus right now? It's like I'd have a shit ton more responsibility, but would my life actually be better? I don't know. Um, so I, I kind of I keep weighing that up in my mind. So right now the goal, the really the goal, the goal right now isn't even money. The goal right now is the network. I want to make as many friends as I can. I want to get to know a ton of people who are in this space. Um, obviously, you doing the podcasting is great because you, you're all in that. Um, but just yeah. the people and the word of mouth that's happened for me has been great because if I help someone who does this business and he's pretty high level, he's got 10, 15 other guys he can refer me to easy. So all I need to do is just fulfill for this guy, be a genuinely good person to him. And he will give me so much more business in return. 
and, and that's exactly what I've been doing as well. You know, like I hadn't a fucking clue what I was doing when I started my podcast, but I was kind of building those contacts. And then with my my agency, how it looks to the world is how I build like referrals. Because mm. if the podcast looks fucking banging and it's like really really top quality, well then their friends who are high net worth individuals will message that person and be like, oh, how did you do this or whatever. And he's like, oh, it's this dude. He's in the middle of fucking Asia that's doing it. You know, so. It, it's like free marketing to some degree because uh, yeah. it's external like yeah. their stuff is is user-based you know so man we can wrap it up here but i want to say a massive fucking thank you like as in i cannot believe you are from cork i actually yeah. that's like that's an oh, it's like and like we could have we could have many other conversations man that are, that are much more uh, we can we can do much more, more much more shit in the future you know but i want to get you out to asia at some stage i feel like absolutely you should be, you should be out here absolutely and we'll do We'll do another one of these in a few months now or maybe next year, whatever whatever timeline I want to do it. And hopefully I've made some progress or maybe my views have changed. It'd be kind of cool to look back on. Exactly, man. And my fucking business will hopefully be automated by then. By you, so, like... <laughs> you love AI doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 100%, man. There's, there's definitely a lot of work that like we could do even on my stuff because like, yeah, it's custom. Yeah, it's bespoke, but like there's all like there's like i've already thought of like a billion ideas you know what i mean so yeah. and if it's anything i can do for you man of course like in terms of your like who you want to contact or if you Absolutely, need to understand something man like that's what i'm here for as well simply appreciate it thanks so much for having me on man it's been sick